Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us, we really are glad that you've joined us. If you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, you know we're um, in the middle of a series called The Practices of Grace. And the idea is this, that we're just looking at the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did that help um, increase our capacity for God. And so this last week, if you were here, you know we talked about the practice of rejoicing, which is just stopping to celebrate. And when we stop and celebrate, it helps us uh, grow in our recognition of the grace that God has given to us and expands our ability to show grace to other people. So these practices, again, are the tools of God's grace to help us grow. And it's important that we just recognize that. See, grace is a part of the, how we come to God. We come to God by grace, but we also grow in God by grace. And so we, we, we need to recognize that it's an ongoing process. If you're here and you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, um, first, the first business for you is coming to God by grace, recognizing His grace and putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first business. But once you've done that, when you've come to God by grace, then you continue to grow by grace. And so we're talking about those tools, those resources, those practices that God's given us to help us continue to grow by His grace. And today we're going to be talking about the practice of following the practice of following, which is an important thing, and we're, we're going to talk about that really. And what we'll talk about in terms of the practice of following is the passage we're going to look at is more of an illustration from, of a principle that we see stated in Scripture. And so let me just show you the principle stated for us clearly in Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So that's the principle, that we look to leaders, those who have gone before us or those who are God's placed around us, because in his kindness, God wants to put people in our lives that we can follow, people who don't just know the faith, but show the faith, faith so that we can watch their lives and say, ah, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, because that's how we learn, isn't it? We learn by observing, we learn by watching and being around people who can show us whatever it might be. And that's not just in the spiritual world, that's in the physical world as well. And we wouldn't tolerate it any other way. Let me just give you an example. Let's just say um, tomorrow you go in for surgery, okay? Not a fun thought, but let's just, let's just imagine. Tomorrow you're going in for surgery, you go to the hospital, you meet the surgeon, and the surgeon says, good to meet you. My name's so-and-so, and, -so, and um, I think this is going to be a great operation. Um, I think it's really going to go great, but I do need to let you know that I have never performed any kind of surgery before in my life. <laughs> never. But here's the good news. I have my phone with me, um, so if we get lost somewhere in the operating table, I can probably find some YouTube video somewhere that explains this procedure, so we should be good to go. And by the end of the day, your new heart valve will be working like a charm, right? <laughs> How many of you would be running from that hospital immediately? You would, right? You'd say, no way. There's no way I'm going to tolerate that. You want to know if you're putting your life in someone's hands that they've been well-trained, they've watched, they've observed, they've been with, following someone who has done it before, they've learned from them, and they've been trained by them. Am I right? So that same thing that is true in our physical world is the same in the spiritual world, that we need people who can show us the faith, that we can follow and say, ah, that's what it looks like, and we can grow from that. See, as a pastor, I will tell you um, and I, that I have grown tremendously by reading God's Word. 
And I will always encourage you to read God's word, to study God's word, and I'll never repent of that. But at the same time, I need to be honest and say that's not the only way that I have grown. And so sometimes by emphasizing one thing, we can think that that's the only thing. But the reality is God in his kindness has not only given me his word, but he's given me people to model his word, to be living words for me in a sense that show me the faith. And I've grown greatly by watching and observing and following the people that God has placed in my life so that I could grow. And so that's what we get to do today is talk about that practice of following because it is a part of what it means to grow by God's grace. And today we're going to look at a story where God in his kindness gave one man another man to follow. And before we look at the passage, I do need to just kind of give a little bit of a background because I don't want you to get confused. The passage we're going to look at is got two main characters. The first is a guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah is one of the greatest of the, the Old Testament oral prophets. Um, uh, he was a, um, uh, you know, he's, he's a main character we're going to be talking about. I'll talk more about him here in a second. But then the other guy that we're going to be talking about is Elisha. Okay, so there's Elijah and Elisha. Yes, God didn't check with me before he gave these guys names, right? But I don't want you to be confused by them because their names are kind of similar, Elijah and Elisha. Because we, we can't confuse them because they are two very different people. And, and it's important to recognize that. And Elijah, by the way, like I said, is the greatest of the oral prophets. He was uh, a man of the country. He was a rugged, you know, take no prisoners type of guy. Um, he wore camel hair clothes, so definitely had style. Um, he was one of those guys that, you know, would go up against people courageously, boldly. He was a guy that took on all the false prophets of, of Israel um, all by himself. You know what I mean? It was kind of, he's that kind of guy. He took on wicked King Ahab and his nasty wife Jezebel. Um, he's the guy that boldly stood up against them. So that's the kind of guy that Elijah is. Um, take no prisoners, um, really bold, courageous, faithful. Then we have, on the other hand, Elisha, who is very different from Elijah. Elisha was a man of the city. He was more reserved. Um, he was not, not as assertive in those kind of ways that we see Elijah being. Um, but he was humble and he was faithful. But up until the passage that we're seeing today, there's really nothing dram- dramatic in his life except for the fact that he would pour water for Elijah when he was washing his hands. So that's Elisha. But Elisha has been following Elijah for many years. And he's been watching him, observing him, being trained by him. And Elisha is the one that God said, you're going to be the one that takes his place. And so he's been watching, learning, following. And they come to the point when it's really time for Elijah to go. God's going to take Elijah and Elisha is going to take that spot. And so this is this last day that Elisha is with the man that he has been following um, faithfully that is now being passed on this ministry to him. So that's the passage we're going to be looking at. It's found in 2 Kings um, chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, where we hear this dramatic story. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll say this, as we read the story, just to get in context for you, you'll, it'll feel repetitive. You'll feel like, okay, there's some repetitive parts of this story. But when we see something in the Bible that's repetitive, what we need to be looking for is the variation. Because it's in the variation that God wants to help us understand a spiritual point. And that's what we'll see here in this passage. I'll talk more about it. But first, let's read it together. Once you find it, please stand in honor of God's word. And we'll read this passage together. 2 Kings chapter 2, 
beginning of verse 1 all the way down to verse 14. This is what it says. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel uh, came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan, to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided and to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, uh, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw, Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the, on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. Okay, go ahead and have a seat, and we'll take a look at this together. Really quite a dramatic story, but it reads like a travel log, doesn't it? You know, they're going from place to place to place. And what I want you to see really is the variation in that. I will add this. This is, Elijah knows, his last day. And Elisha knows this too. In fact, even it says the prophets know it. And the, what, by the company of the prophets, I'll just mention this, that Elijah... Um, had founded a school, a school of the prophets, it was called. And he did this really in a, in a time of, in Israel's history where it was quite bold because to be a prophet of God at this time could mean that you have your head handed to you. So it was very bold and courageous, but it wasn't just that he set up one school, um, kind of a, a seminary of sorts to train um, guys to listen to God and to lead God's people. He set up multiple schools. So there's multiple campuses and then they're going to these different cities. There's different schools that had been set up there. And that's where we see the company of the prophets keep coming uh, to him because this is the school that, that Elijah, these different schools that Elijah had founded. So all that said, it reads like a travel log. They're going from place to place and it feels very repetitive in that they're having the same conversation over and over and over again. But what I want you to notice is the variation and the variation of this passage is the places that they're going to. And this is important to, for us to see. 
It was uh, an ancient scholar, Jerome, who said, look to the Holy Land because it is a fifth gospel. That is, look to the geography of, of, of the Bible because in the geography of the Bible, there's so much history and so much to be learned spiritually by these places. Um, and, and it is true. Right now, Phil and Anita Paulson are in Israel. And I wish I could be with them. Um, and I wish I could take you all with me because there is something very, very powerful about seeing the geography in the scriptures. Because there's so much there for us to learn by seeing and then understanding the rich history behind it because it can teach us so much. And so um, Elijah is, uh, like I said, one of the, the great oral prophets of the, of the, of the Old Testament in the Bible. Uh, there's, there's oral prophets and there's um, written prophets. So oral prophets are the guys like Elijah who did much of what he did. It's not recorded. It's just his actions and the things that he accomplished and the things that he did for God. Then we have the written prophets. There's like uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're, they're, it's all recorded. They're, they're, pro- they're prophetic saying the things that they, God had given to them. Uh, but it's different for, for um, Elijah. What Elijah, as a, one of the oral prophets, would um, ways that he would communicate spiritual truths is he would do it through actions or symbols or through uh, many of the oral prophets would do it like places to, to create a spiritual point. And that's what's happening here. That the variation is the different places that they are going to. Because each one of the places that they're going to would have been um, immediately known by the people in this time. That if they'd go to this certain spot, it's like, oh, there's all this rich history and this understanding that this is what this represents and this is what there means. And so Elijah is taking Elisha on a little tour, basically, saying, hey, here's the core curriculum. You're going to follow me as the next, next you know, prophet of God. And so let me show you the core curriculum one more time before I go, because these are the things that you need to know, the foundations, the core curriculum, in a sense, based from these different places that have such rich history and meaning, and, it, and it's important for, for him to get, but it's also uh, very helpful for us to get as well. So they're going from place to place, and this is um, what Elijah knows his last day. The, 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 the other schools of the prophets, they understand it. Elisha knows this too, but here's where they go. Verse 1, it says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah said, and, and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. This is important. So Gilgal is the first place that they were at. And I'll just show on the map for you where Gilgal is. It's kind of on the, the, the edge, the bank there of the, the kind of the Jordan River area on the, in the foothills. And this is in a significant place in Israel's history because this is the place of beginnings. This is the place of beginnings. When General Joshua brought the Israelites out of the you know, wilderness, they crossed the Jordan and they're going into the promised land, they stop in Gilgal. And this is the place where they take the stones and they stack them up, stones of remembrance. It was the beginning moment for them to say, God, you've been faithful. You've brought us from, the, the, from wilderness to the promised land. And now we're a new, you know, in this new place. So it was a beginning for them in the, in the coming into that promised land. This is also the place where the, the Israelites um, had their first Passover a celebration. This is the place where the Israelites, when it was time to divide up the, the promised land among the 12 tribes, it was here in Gilgal. This is the place of 
beginnings. And this is significant for us because what Elijah wants Elisha to see is, hey, you need some certain foundations. You need to start from the beginning. And that is, at some point, Elisha, you've been following me, but now you also have to lay the foundation for others who will be following you. Because all of us, by the way, need someone who can show us the foundations, who will show us where the core faith is all about, who can show us what it means to be a follower of God. And, and I think this is true not just for Elisha, but it's also true for us. All of us need people who will show us what it means to follow Jesus. All of us need those people in our life. And if you're here and you're just, uh, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I can almost certainly show you someone that God has placed in your life by his grace to show you the foundations, to show you the Christian life, the beginnings for you. There was a person that God placed in your life to be that person to come alongside you and show you the faith. If you have yet to follow Jesus Christ, um, guess what? God's got people that he wants to use in that journey. And maybe that's someone that invited you to church today that God wants to use to show you the foundations, the beginnings of what it's all about. For me in my life, uh, the person, the people that really were the foundational for me in helping show the faith were my parents. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. And my parents practiced their faith in front of my brothers and I. And I really mean practice the faith because it wasn't just them, them preaching at us. It was them practicing their own personal faith in Jesus Christ. When my parents prayed, they were really praying to God. As kids growing up, we saw they were talking to God, expecting an answer. It wasn't just religious words that were coming out. It was a real personal uh, conversation. And so they modeled something for us. They showed us the faith. When they read the book, the Bible, it wasn't just a book to them. It was the word of God to them that they were listening to and, and saying, how can we let God's word guide and direct us in life? And we saw them make decisions based on reading of scripture. When they went to church, it wasn't just because of social or religious pressure. They went to church because they wanted to worship God with God's people. It was clear and evident. They served as a responsiveness to God. They gave as a responsiveness to God. They worshiped as a responsiveness. They lived out their faith in front of us. And it was so, it has left a huge and profound impact in my life. And so I'll just say this, we all need that. And many of you maybe grew up where you've seen that in your home. And I would just say this to you parents, it's so important for you to live out your faith for your kids, for them to see you practice it. And it doesn't really matter if the kids are in your home or out of your home. It doesn't matter. They still need to see you living out your faith, practicing your faith, no matter what age they are, no matter what age you are, that you're still living and practicing your faith all the way to the end. It's important for them to see that. Now, some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes or have parents that modeled uh, the faith for you, but others of you, you, you came to faith in Christ because there's, God put other people around you to show you the faith and modeled it for you that you looked at and said, ah, that's what it means to be a Christian. I want to be like that. I want to follow them. And they became your spiritual parents or your spiritual grandparents, that God in his kindness and his goodness has given you people to show you the foundations, to show you the faith, not just knowing the faith, but showing it to you. We all need those kinds of people that we can look to and follow. So this is what happens in the beginnings, the Gilgal, the place of beginnings for the Israelites, but also the foundations for us as well. And then the next verse, 
So Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. So they're going from Gilgal to Bethel. Um, and I'll just uh, quickly show a map to you, uh, for you of, of, Gil, uh, of Bethel. So this is um, where they're going. It's about 12 miles or so away. Um, and this is a, a place that would be immediately known as well to anyone uh, familiar in that time. That Bethel, really, in, in terms of places in the Bible that are named, this only, um, it's second only to Jerusalem in terms of places that are named. So it's a very well-known place. And this is a place um, for, of surrender. It's a place of surrender that they're coming, they're coming to now a zone, a, ge- a geographical place that has history of this is where, where people came and they surrendered to God. So, for instance, you look to Genesis chapter 12. This is where Abraham, when he was called by God to leave his homeland and go into the promised land, and that's it. That's all the direction he had, just go. He came to Bethel, and it's here that he worshiped. It's here that he surrendered and said, okay, God, my future, my fortune, he was a wealthy man, all of the stuff that I have, I'm surrendering to you, and I'm going to follow you as a place of surrender. A little bit later, Genesis 28, you see Jacob doing the same thing, a guy who struggled with God, got to a point where he said um, he came to Bethel, and it was in, in the evening that he recognized, okay, God, you're here. He wakes up the next morning, God, you are here, and it's a, a place of surrender. He says, I'm, uh, you're the one. And, and, so, and he was transformed in that, that process of God's doing. So again, it is a place of transformation. And uh, what Elijah wants Elisha to see is that, hey, you need to be surrendered to God. You need to surrender your future, your dreams, your fears, all of these things to God, knowing that he will sustain you, that you can trust him. And all of us need those kinds of people in our life too that we can follow. People who model surrendering to God, their life their dreams, their challenges, and say, God, we're going to trust you, follow you, no matter what. For me, God put in my life, when I was in college, um, a young couple um, who had moved from California to go to Seattle to work with college students because they were passionate about college students knowing and following Jesus. And they were part of a ministry called Crew, and I got involved with Crew, and they were on staff, and this guy named Dan Um, was very persistent and passionate about people knowing Jesus. Um, And as I got to know him, he would do crazy things like, hey, you know, I'd hang out with him and he'd say, hey, Scott, guess what? You know, there's all of these international students that go to this college and they they all hang out in pretty predictable places, the same places where they hang out um, either to study or to have lunch and it's sort of separated from everybody else. So I've got an idea. Let's go hang out with them and get to know them and see if God opens a door for us to um, have a spiritual conversation with them. Wouldn't that be fun? And I'm thinking to myself, no, that doesn't sound fun. Are you kidding me? But he was persistent and he was passionate. He's like, these people, need, he, would, he would get emotional. Students need Jesus. Doesn't matter where they're at or where they're coming from, they need Jesus. So let's go talk to him. And so by following him, I learned to surrender what I wanted, my will. My will was to hang out with my friends at a comfortable, you know, place that I'm used to, having a meal, and just not being pushed out of my comfort zone. That was what I wanted. But he pushed me to say, hey, let's surrender what you want. Say, God, what do you want here? And there's, you want people to know you. And you want us to step outside of our comfort zone to be bold and yet relational, to help people understand the good news about Jesus. He taught me that. And not just that, but the same guy, he had a book study that he would have in his apartment 
he and his wife, and they would invite college students to come, and they would have this book study, and um, they had a kind of a funny name for it. I'll just, I'll tell you, and you might think it's a little bit weird, but they had a name for the book study. They called it the, uh, the Dead Missionary Society, um, and because uh, taken from the kind of the movie with Robin Williams, and I'm talking about the Dead Poet Society, because the whole point of the book study was, hey, let's read books about missionaries um, and see how God used them in their great faith. And all of them passed away, so they're all dead, but let's, let's read about their lives and see how they surrendered their life to God and what God did in their life. And guess what? I learned a lot about, you know, dead missionaries. Um, C.T. Studd and Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, and all of a sudden I'm seeing people, real people, who surrendered their life to God And God used them in significant ways as they surrendered their life to him to say, okay, God, my dreams, my, my, my achieve, all the stuff I want to achieve, I'm going to put it in in your hands and allow you to use me. And God did great things. It was huge for me. He was not just modeling something for me, but also showing me other models that I could learn from and follow and say, that's what it looks like to be surrendered to God no matter what. We all need those kinds of people in our life. But then um, we go to the next, the next thing that takes place is um, he says, okay, so he, he, Elisha says, hey, I'm going to go with you, basically. So I do want to point out that every single time Elijah's saying, hey, I'm just going to go ahead, Elisha's like, I'm going with you. I'm following you. So that's, that's what he says. I'm going to follow you. Then verse 3 says this, the company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. So there's, there's, the word is out. You know, even the prophets uh, in the school knew that Elijah was going to be taking, so, taken. So they come to Elisha and they say, do you know Elijah's going to go away? And what they're saying really is we're panicking here. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our school? You know, who's going to be the president of our, you know, our, our seminary um, if Elijah's gone away? So they're panicking. They're not surrendering. And this is what we tend to do. If we're not surrendering um, we're, we're, and not seeing what God's doing, we kind of tend to look internal. So they're like, Ah, it's all going to you know, fall apart. And that's kind of, they're panicking at this moment. And uh, Elisha's not going there. He's like, nope, I get it. So be quiet. <laughs> and then next verse, I'll show you again. Verse four says this, then Elijah said to him, stay here, um, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Now Jericho is the next place they go. And I'll show you on the map where they're going. And um, if you see where they were at at Bethel, it looks like they're going backwards towards Gilgal. So again, it's not like that they're going on a path to get to a you know, unique destination. They're, they're going to different places. And these places are significant. So again, Elijah takes Elisha to Jericho. And Jericho is a significant place. And even you know, for the people at that time, but even people who aren't familiar with the Bible, they've heard of Jericho. Jericho is the place, right, where the, the great walls come down. And this is a place of great battle where the God's people were brought up against um, this you know, circumstance that were, was far beyond them, and they beat the odds. And it wasn't because they're so great, but it's because God's great. And that's the whole point, that you find people that could come into the circumstances and the challenges and the battles of life and stand strong, who can stand up to them and say, we trust God no matter what. See, the beauty of, of Jericho is that we have these Uh, sons and daughters of slaves who come against this great city armed with shouts and trumpets, and they're victorious because of God, that they stand up against all the odds, and they trust God no matter what. All of us need people in our life who will show that for us too, who will demonstrate what it means to uh, trust God no matter what comes to us. 
that they would trust God no matter what the challenge, no matter what the battle, but they would, they would recognize and say, God, you're still God. I'm going to trust you and I can stand up and stand even alone against these battles and these challenges. For, again, in my life, I'll just give you another example that God placed by his grace into our life a family, my, for my wife and I, a family who um, several years before our son Jay was uh, born and diagnosed with cancer, there was a family that we were close to and we watched as their son was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And we watched them go through the painful journey of the, the cancer treatments and the ups and the downs. And we watched them and we were with them in the, the final moments of their son's life because he ultimately lost that battle with cancer. And we watched them when they're going through a, circum- a devastating circumstance in their life. And, and by all means, you're watching them saying, this should be something that pushes you away from God. But instead, they drew closer to God in that moment. That's who they were, that they said, we're trusting God no matter what. I went to the memorial service for their son on a Saturday, and the next day, Sunday, they were there together at church, worshiping with God, God and his, with his people. That's who they were. Yes, praise God. And we need people like that who model and, and walk through the challenges of life and say, we're going to trust God no matter what. And guess what? When my wife and I had our son Jay and he was diagnosed with cancer, guess who were among the first people to call? They were. Guess what? Who were the, the, probably the most fervent in terms of prayer as we were traveling and going through our cancer journey with our son? They were. Guess who were the people who were there to listen to us, to w- walk alongside of us, to share with us when we were going through our struggles? They were. God used them in our life, and we saw how they lived in the midst of uncertainty and challenge and struggle, and it was a great model and comfort to us that God used in a a really very, very powerful way. We all need those kinds of people who say, huh, I'm going to trust God no matter what and have that kind of faith, not just that they say it, but that they show it. That's, That's powerful and impactful. So then, um, from Jericho, we see the next verse here. It says this, The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know what the Lord is going, uh, to take, go, Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So shut up. That's what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying, you're, you're focused in. You're, you're worried about your school. Your, what's, who's going to lead us? Well, that's going to happen. And they're panicking. And they're missing what God's doing. And they're, there they are right next to Jericho, right? They can see the old ruins that God, you know, is victorious no matter what. And yet they're still, they're, they're still struggling. And would we do that when we think someone's going to go away or, you know, things are getting disrupted? Where's God in that? And the whole point is, hey, yeah, God's taking Elijah away, but, but God's staying. That's, that's what they're missing. You get that? And, and that's, that's where Elisha um, is saying, hey, I get it. Be quiet. Then verse 6 says this. Then Elijah said, Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. So now they're going to the Jordan. I'll show you on the map where they're at. So this is kind of the, the, the journey that they were on, Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. Jordan is significant because Jordan is a place of transition. This is the, the, 
the, when the people of God were coming out of the wilderness and going into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan. It was a, a demarcation point where there was a, a place of transition, a point of transition. We see that in Scripture. And, and in truth, all of us need people who can uh, show us what it looks like to live in transition. We don't like to always live through change and transition um, and what it means, to, what that looks like, but we need people who have gone ahead of us and have gone from one place to another and can show us, hey, the trans- transition can happen and you can actually be transformed by God in the midst of the transitions of life. And this is important for, again, for me and for Lisa in our life. God placed uh, a, an older woman um, who was wise and a counselor in our life to help us when we needed it in a point of transition in our life, especially as newlyweds. See, when we got married, we went through premarital counseling, and that was great. But then we got married, and we realized we need postmarital counseling too. <laughs> and it was like a big moment of like, okay, we've gone from single to now together, and this is a big transition point. And if we were to hold things together, we needed guidance. We needed counsel. And so we met with this woman who was wise and discerning and said, hey, let me help you. Let's talk it through. Can I give you a blueprint for what the Bible says on marriage? And it was very, very helpful. I will say this, by the way, it's not the only time that we've gone to a counselor for our marriage because there's other points of transition where we've needed guidance, help, and to go through the trans- transitions of life. But we also found that when we do, we're transformed. And that's the whole idea, that we have people in our life that help us through those transitions of life. When I moved here from, uh, to be the, the lead pastor here at this church, God, in His grace, put a, a, a pastor in my life just before that to help walk me through the transition of where I was at to where I was going. He was a pastor who'd been a lead pastor. He'd planted several churches. He's continued to walk with me. I meet, one, meet monthly with him, um, and it's powerful. It's helpful to have, have someone who's been a little bit further, has other knowledge, has discernment and encouragement and coaching in, the, in that transition. It's still, I still find it very, very helpful. We all need those kinds of people who can help us, encourage us, coach us, guide us in the moments of transition and transformation in our life. Then go to the next verse. It says this, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Next verse. Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So this great miracle takes place. Elijah um, strikes the water, parts, they cross over. Then verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? So he's basically saying, hey, is there anything else I can do before I go? Because he knows his time is, is limited at this point. Anything else I can do? Listen to the response of Elisha. Let me inherit a double, inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. It's easy to look at this and think, oh, Elisha just, you know, he just wants to be bigger and better than Elijah, right? I want to be twice as famous as you. That's not it. Elisha is looking at Elijah saying, wow, those are some big shoes to fill. I need double if I'm going to follow you, is what he's saying. I need double the Spirit of God in my life. And so, and I I get that. You relate to that? Where you just feel insecure? You're like, man, that's a big role. That's a whole lot. God, I really need you. 
He's simply saying, I really need a whole lot of God's Spirit, uh, what the Spirit of God that's led you. I need that and probably more to fill this role. That's kind of the humble position that he's coming from, the request that he makes. And then uh, Elijah doesn't they can't give him a firm answer, of course, but he's like, that's, that's a difficult thing. Look at the response. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. So he's saying, hey, it's really in God's hands. That's what he's laying it out before him. Then the next verse. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses and fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So this is a dramatic moment, right? Where they're walking, they're talking, and all of a sudden the chariots of fire, the horses of fire come, and this is where we get that song, you know, swing low, sweet chariot. That's where that comes from. But if you look at this verse, actually, you see that the chariot of fire and then the horses of fire, it separates the two of them, and Elijah goes up to heaven in a whirlwind. But the song doesn't have the same catch, you know, swing low, sweet whirlwind, you know? That's kind of, that, it's not the same idea, but the, just so you guys get, that's the whole picture that is going on, and it is, it is really quite powerful. Then, the next verse. Um, Elisha saw this, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment, and he tore it in two. So he sees Elijah goes, go up, he calls out, and then there's mourning. This, this ripping of his clothes, of his, of his cloak, is a, is a sign of grief and mourning because this is a guy that he has followed, that he's respected, who's now gone, and so he t- t- tears his garment in two. Next verse. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak um, that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. So it's a good thing he just ripped his clothes, so he does need another cloak, right? That's good. But the whole point is that he sees, yes, Elijah's gone, but God answered his, uh, answered his request. And the cloak is there. The mantle is being passed. Elijah is moving forward. And we see God's kindness to Elisha in the next verse. Look at it. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So God was so kind to him, not only allowing him to see it, but then leaving the cloak. And then in this moment saying, okay, Elijah's gone. But God, are you still here? That's kind of the idea, right? Am I totally abandoned? And the good news is, yep, Elijah's gone, but God stayed. And he, we get to follow him. And he takes him forward. And this great miracle confirms, yes, you're the one to take on this new role, this role that Elijah had. So it's, it's God's grace. It's his kindness. It's a confirmation. It's helpful for us to even remind, be reminded that when sometimes we follow people, God might move them to a different place. And God might take them away. But God doesn't leave us. And it's important to get that. God uses certain people in our life that we follow to shape who we are. And then he calls us to live out, um, not to be them, but to be who we are. See, Elisha was not called to be everything like Elijah. He wasn't. He was different. But God used Elijah to shape Elisha to be his man at that time. And And he confirmed it by his grace in this moment. It's a beautiful thing. We need people to follow. We need people to show us the faith. And Elijah does that for Elisha. Now, before we go, let me just give you a couple of principles to answer the question, well, how do I find someone worth following? If this is a practice uh, of God's grace, um, how do I then find someone that is worth following? So let me give you a couple of things to look for when it comes to um, following, uh, uh, following as a practice of grace. The first one is this. Look for time over content. 
Look for time over content. This is an important one because sometimes we get a little bit enamored with someone who has lots of knowledge. We think, oh, they know a lot, and, they've, and I'll get, glean a lot from them. But don't, don't be uh, just lost in that, but to, to recognize, yes, what I also need is someone who's going to give me time. And that's an important thing. Someone who will walk with me, who will be patient, who I can spend time with. Because, yes, the knowledge thing is nice, but the, it's the time, it's the investment, it's the availability that really can help us grow. And we all need people who will give us time, who can walk with us patiently, encourage us. And that's an important thing to look for to help us see the faith. Not just know the faith again, but to see the faith. <clears throat> and we need people who will give us time. The second one is this. Look for love above instruction. Look for love above instruction. This is important um, because all of us grow best in environments of love, don't we? We all love best in environments where there's encouragement um, and not, not uh, you know, where we're feeling crushed all of the time. You know this is true. Just picture with me the, the, the little toddler who's, you know, got all this, by all of his strength, has worked its way up and is standing, holding onto a coffee table or something, got a big smile, super proud, <laughs> I'm standing, right? And you're watching the toddler stand. And then all of a sudden you see the toddler let go of the, the coffee table and take the step, step, and then what happens? Boom, <laughs> they're on the ground. Now, in that moment, do the parents go, come on, that's all you've got? Come on, get back up. You know, you did way more. You can do way better than that. It's terrible. Wrong, wrong, wrong. No, no, no. You don't see a parent do that. And the moment that that toddler takes those two steps, the parent is saying, "Woo, that's awesome. You know, they're cheering as if they won six Olympic gold medals. You know what I mean? That's, that's what the parents are doing. And that's how children grow, but that's how we grow. We grow best when there's environments where we're, we're encouraged, where we're coached, where, we're, where there's somebody cheerleading for us. We're in environments of love. Now, there are moments of tough love. We need that. We get that. But we also need to be encouraged. Someone who can say, hey, you fell. Let me help you out. I'm going to hug you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you. We need that kind of, those kinds of people. And so it's, it's very, very important. Now, verse, uh, sorry, the third one is this. Look for guidance over position. Look for guidance over position. Um, the, the point is this, that sometimes we get structured when we look at certain people or like, oh, they've got, you know, a bunch of letters after their name, you know, of the alphabet, and that's really, you know, makes them smarter or better. Uh, they've got the high position or maybe they're top of the org chart or one above you in the org chart. That's not it. Don't look for the, it's not about the org chart. It's not about the position or rank or how many, you know, little letters that come after someone's name. The point is this, are there someone who's just willing to guide you that you can learn from? It doesn't matter what point, what rank they have, but if someone's willing to guide you and show you and you're like, that's what it looks like, I need that, you follow. Look for people who, who do that. Don't be enamored by, by, all, by all, the, all the, the rankings and positioning. Look for people who show us the, the faith and guide us that direction. Uh, the next one is this. Look for many over one. Look for many over one. That God in his kindness has many people that he wants to use in your life that you can follow that you can learn from, that you can grow from. And so there's just times and seasons where you have someone here and maybe someone here. There's different parts of the body. That's wonderful. Different parts reflect different ways that God can work and use you and encourage you. Um, and so we need lots of parts. And, so, and we can't be jealous of others if someone else is, is, is encouraging or coming alongside one. They all, we need lots of different parts to help us grow. So look for many over one. Then the last one is this. Look for the life of Jesus. And I know that sounds simple, but it's so important. 
Look for the life of Jesus. Look for people who reflect the life of Jesus. Because if they reflect the life of Jesus, guess what? They know Jesus. Sometimes we think, oh, we go for the knowledge side. Um, and that's what we're kind of thinking we're drawn towards. But no, no, no. Again, it's people who show it. People who reflect Jesus. And when you find people who reflect Jesus, get, just get near them. Get next to them. Don't come up to them and say, will you please mentor me? Um, they will run away, okay? <laughs> we love the word mentor. We love the word mentorship. But on the other side, no one really wants to be that. They don't want to have that pressure of being some sort of super spiritual guru to somebody, right? That's a lot of pressure. But you see someone reflecting Christ, don't, don't pressure them with be my mentor and do all these things. Just get next to them. Spend time with them. Watch them. Observe them. Listen to them. Hang out with them. That's the idea that we, we need. We need people that we, can, that we can look to as models for us, examples for us that show us Jesus. And God, in his kindness and his grace, have those people for you, no matter what stage of life you're in. Let's take a moment and let's thank him for that. God, we do thank you for your grace and your kindness, that you not only give us your word and you, um, you show us your love, but you, you, you've given us people that we can look to, that model your love, that, that follow your word, that we can follow too, that we can learn from, we can listen to, we can be guided by. Not that they're perfect and we can learn from others' mistakes as well, but Lord, help us to be people that humbly um, follow, humbly learn and listen, uh, accept others' guidance and encouragement. And Lord, we pray that at the same time, you would also help us to be um, people that would reflect you to others as well that we think about those who are watching us and looking to us, that we would also be models and examples of what it means to follow you. God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for um, your son, Jesus Christ, for his love for us, the grace that he shows. And Lord, we pray that you would allow us to be people who um, help others in their journey and that we look to others to help us with ours. We pray this together, Lord, in your name. Amen.